0: But tonight I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me once again to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter number four. In continuing our series on biblical discernment, we come once again to focus our attention on biblical discernment in private And public worship biblical discernment in private and public worship and the questions that I introduced last Sunday evening that I want to carefully examine again are does God care how we worship him is there a right way to worship him is there a wrong way to worship him if so what are the standards What are the guidelines? Are there principles that the practices of worship ought to be funneled through? Do we have the freedom to incorporate what we like or what we think is best in worship? Are styles of worship a matter of one's preference? A matter of one's denomination? And getting more specific in my questions... The questions I'm seeking to answer are, does God accept the worship of every religion and every creed? Does He accept the worship of those who follow the teachings of Islam? Does God accept the worship of those who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses? Does God accept the worship of those who call themselves Mormon? Does God accept the worship of Catholics? Is God indifferent to individuals going to Mass, lighting incense to dead saints? How about their visits to the confessional booth and prayers to Mary? Does God receive the worship of those who claim to speak in tongues? Is God pleased with people barking like dogs, floundering on the floor like a fish, and running around the auditorium claiming to be filled with the Spirit? Is it wrong for women to be pastors? Is it wrong for women to preach? How about those who identify with the LGBTQ belief system? I mean, there are plenty of places that call themselves churches who declare that God is love and He is accepting of everyone and everything. Is God okay with every and any style of Music performed in worship. Is he okay with churches darkening the auditorium, using rock and roll music to excite the congregation to praise God? Would God be gratified if we did away with confrontational preaching in the church and substituted it with skits, movie clips, comedy shows, small groups in which we can all discuss what we think the Bible says? Is God pleased with those who totally abandon being part of a local church? Because, as they say, they can just easily worship God on their fishing boat with their buddies on Sundays. Many so-called believers think that God is uninterested to these aspects of worship so long as someone is sincere in worship. Many so-called Christians say that God is open to any and all expressions of worship. Many so-called churches operate as if we have the liberty to decide how we approach God. So my question is, how does anyone know what is right and what is wrong? Who says that some things are accepted in worship and other things are not? Well, in John chapter 4, verse 24, we find the answers to these questions. In John 4, 24, we find that God, by His Spirit, through Christ, has preserved for us authoritative truth regarding how He ought to be worshipped. In John 4, 24, Jesus gives us two foundational features of worship that all worship ought to be guided by. Here we find the answers as to how God expects worshipers to approach Him both in an individual sense and in a collective sense. Notice it with me. Jesus says, John 4, 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, from this singular text, I want you to see that the first foundational question regarding worship is answered for us. Foundational question number one, does God care how we worship Him? Answer, yes, of course. How do we know? We know because Jesus says God cares. And then God shows that He cares. God shows that He cares by the frequent... references of texts like this one that clearly describes the nature of worship. From Genesis to Revelation, God has given us both positive and negative examples. He's given us detailed warnings, admonitions, commands, principles, guidelines, and standards that all speak of worship. So going back to the question, does God care? how someone worships Him? The answer is without a doubt. God in His Word commandingly declared that there is a right way to worship Him and that there is a wrong way to worship Him. God's Word tells us that God and God alone is the author of worship. He is the one who ordained worship. So it's God who sets the standards and the guidelines for how he should be approached. So the follow-up question then is, how then should God be approached and worshipped? What is the divine manner of worship? Well, the text tells us. Jesus says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in this way. They must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and must be worshipped first in spirit. And this means that God is to be inwardly worshipped from the heart. To worship God in spirit means that God is more concerned with spiritual realities over and above physical places, religious traditions, external customs, and material objects. This means that God is more concerned about the true condition of one's soul than He is with one's religious duties and one's heartless ceremonial rituals. God wants us to know Him and to love Him. He wants us to commune with His Spirit through our spirit. And this is the first manner in which God ought to be worshipped. God must be worshipped in spirit. God must be worshipped from the heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord with all thine heart. And Jesus says, this is the first and great commandment. Now You can go through the motions. You can be a part of your religious tradition, but it all means nothing to God if God doesn't have your heart. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him first in spirit. Notice the second manner. Jesus says, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what does this mean? This means that God is to be worshipped in the way that He has prescribed. God must be worshipped according to the entire counsel of His Word. To worship God in truth means that there is a divine standard that ought to order and influence the way in which God ought to be worshipped. Now, don't lose me here. Jesus is telling us here that our worship of the Father ought to be suitable to His person and His will. We ought to worship God according to His preferences, not ours. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him, how? In spirit, from the heart, with the inner man, and in truth, according to divine revelation. Now, fleshing this second foundational element of worship out for us a little bit more, tonight I want to give you six supplementary truths that we find in the whole of Scripture that shed light on what it means to worship God in truth. Looking to the truths preserved for us in both Old and New Testament, I'm convinced that it is absolutely essential that we carefully funnel all individual and collective worship through the following six principles. So Jesus here gives us the foundational element of worship. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. But breaking that second part in half and looking to whole of scripture, there are six other features of what it means to worship God in truth. What it means to worship God in the way that he has prescribed. And the first principle that is first and foremost among the list is the truth that God is to be worshipped believingly. God is to be worshipped believingly. And by this I mean that God is to be worshipped with faith that is of, in, and supremely focused on the biblical Jesus. Let me say it again. To worship God believingly means that God is to be worshipped with faith that is of, in, and supremely focused on the biblical Jesus. You see, God is to be approached with sincere faith in the sinless Messiah who laid down His life as an atonement for sin who was buried and rose again the third day. God is to be worshipped through the singular mediator between God and men. He is to be worshipped through the great high priest, the one who declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Now question, why do you suppose that I mentioned this truth first? Isn't this obvious? I mention this truth first because it's possible, it is possible, for others to worship God as an unbeliever superficially. And likewise, it's possible for others to worship a false God through a false Jesus. And we begin in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, where we see the worship of Cain. Remember, Cain is an example of one who approached God in worship, but he did so lacking faith in Christ. Two religions spelled for us in Genesis chapter 4. There is true faith, the Christian faith, which is of able, able, sacrifice, believing that there is going to be the Messiah who would come and shed his blood for him. And then there's Cain who sacrificed. But in his sacrifice, in his worship to God, he did not have believing faith in the coming Messiah. And we see this also in Saul of Tarsus. Lydia and Cornelius, before their conversions... They are examples of individuals who were involved in, quote, Christian things who were inwardly void of spiritual life. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Lydia was a worshiper of God, even before God opened her heart, the Bible tells us. Cornelius was a just man. Cornelius, likewise, was an external worshiper of God, but he was void of of true faith. And then the worship of the Pharisees provide us with illustrations of God's disapproval of worshiping Him merely in body and in tradition rather than in spirit and in truth. And the same is true with many cults and many places of worship that call themselves Christians today. So we can declaratively assert that God does not accept the worship of Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons. God does not accept the worship of faith healers and prosperity circles because they are believing on a false Christ. They do not believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. They do not believe that salvation is exclusively by grace through faith. They do not believe that we must be born of God's spirit if we are to see the kingdom of God. No, these religions, these cults believe that you must do something to earn salvation. You must pray. You must attend mass. You must keep God's commandments. You must strive to be good. You must believe the Jesus that they have created and adopted to fit their beliefs. So do you see how essential this first point is? If you and I are to worship God as God prescribes, then we must worship Him believingly. We must worship Him having been born again. We must worship Him in and through Jesus Christ. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit through the biblical Jesus. That's principle number one. Turning to principle number two, I want us to recognize that God has prescribed in his word that he ought to be worshiped obediently. Obediently. And by obediently, I mean wholeheartedly. God is to be worshiped with a heart that is sincerely submissive to his will and affectionate toward his person. And the Bible is full of ex- exhortations and examples and occasions. In which God clearly tells us that He hates, He abhors half hearted worship. God hates divided worship. God hates lukewarm worship. God is not honored when we bring our bodies to church while leaving our hearts at home. God is not glorified when we uncaringly go through the motions of Christianity all while having no desire to be in closer relationship with Him. Just listen to what God says about this particular point throughout the scriptures. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two. You know it. This is Samuel's rebuke to Saul who wanted to worship in his own way. Samuel says, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey in the faith from the heart obediently is better than sacrifice and to hearken to God and His Word is better than the fat of rams. Proverbs 21.3, To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Micah 6, 6-8, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He hath shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Mark 12, Jesus says, And to love him that is God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Did you catch it? God is to be worshipped obediently. And Jesus said that the Pharisees worshipped God in vain, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees were rebuked by Christ because they worshipped God according to the opinions of the rabbis, over the truth of God's word. Jesus said, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. They worship God according to their own tradition, above what God had already said in sacred scripture. So this is principle number two, regarding how God ought to be worshiped. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him with a heart that desires to obey Him. God is to be worshipped, number one, believingly. God is to be worshipped, number two, obediently. And then we have truth, number three. God is to be worshipped reverently. We're spelling out the second part of John chapter 4, verse 24. God is to be worshipped in truth. Well, what does this mean? What is the truth of God? How has he prescribed worship in the Scripture? Truth number three, God is to be worshipped reverently. Hebrews 12, 28. The author of Hebrews says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for... God is a consuming fire. And you'll notice here in this text that the Scriptures once again connects the truth regarding who God is with how God ought to be approached. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. And then similarly, God is a consuming fire. Therefore He is to be worshipped in reverence and godly fear. You see, the truths being emphasized run parallel to one another. Our knowledge of God ought to affect our worship of God. What we know of Him to be ought to affect our attitudes and actions. So who do we know this God to be? We know this God to be a sovereign spirit who is the creator and sustainer of all things. We know that the God of the Bible is one in essence and three in persons. We know Him to be great and greatly to be praised. We know that He is the one that we are accountable to. We know that He is a God of great grace and great mercy, but He is also a God of holiness, justice, and wrath. In fact, Jesus said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The scripture teaches us then that God ought to be approached in worship with seriousness as opposed to casualness. God ought to be approached in worship with somberness as opposed to flippancy. And adding scripture upon scripture, I would have you think of Isaiah's reaction when God allowed him to see something of God's holiness, God's majesty, and God's greatness. Remember, when Isaiah saw God in a vision, he saw God high and lifted up. The seraphim cried one to another, Holy, Holy, Holy. And what was it that stirred Isaiah in his heart and his soul? It was the greatness of God. It was the holiness of God. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, And then likewise, when John the Apostle saw Christ in the revelation, in a vision, the Bible says that John fell at Jesus' feet as a dead man. In reverence and godly fear. And yet many have the audacity To think that God is okay with the MTV worship being offered to him week by week. We're so foolish to believe that God is acceptable with the carelessness and sloppiness that defines the worship of most Christian churches. I'm talking about pastors wearing Hawaiian shirts and shorts and flip flops. Pastors preaching God's holy word. Leading God's holy people into the presence of a holy God in tight, skinny jeans and a t-shirt. I'm talking about worshipers coming into public worshipers late, sipping on their lattes. Church leaders trying to be funny and relevant rather than serious and reverent. I'm talking about churches running the church like a secular business, Like a social club where people can find friends rather than a spiritual hospital where people can find Christ and grow in Him. Let me remind you that this is precisely why Jesus went into the temple and started turning over tables, driving the money changers out with a whip. They were perverting the worship of God. They were making holy things common. They were spoiling the divine purpose regarding why the temple was set up in the first place. Jesus was filled with zeal and love for the honor of God. And that's why he did what he did. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must, they must, worship him. In spirit and in truth. And to worship God in truth means that we worship Him in reverence. We worship Him in the beauty of His holiness. It means that we admittedly refuse to shape our worship to resemble customs of our sinful secular society. God is a spirit. How should he be worshipped? He should be worshipped in reverence, in seriousness. Principle number four, God is to be worshipped appropriately. God is to be worshipped appropriately. God is to be worshipped first, believingly. Second, obediently. Third, reverently. And then fourth, appropriately. And I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. And the context of this command is given to a church regarding the collective worship of God. The church in Corinth was having a type of free-for-all worship jamboree where individual Christians wanted to do as they wanted to do. Some were proudly showing off their spiritual gifts. Others were speaking words that could not be understood. Women were usurping the authority of men and disrupting the meetings with questions, some of them claiming to have a word from the Lord. And Paul comes along and says, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, enough is enough. It's in the Greek. Enough is enough. God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. Unbelievers are coming among your congregation and they're seeing disorder. They're seeing madness. This is not a pure representation of our God. And Notice again the correlation between God's person and the worship of God. God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. Therefore, all things are to be done decently and in order. Does God care how we worship Him? Does God tell us specifically how He ought to be approached? 1 Corinthians 14.40 spells it out for us plainly. God is to be worshipped without confusion and without compromise. God is to be worshipped decently and in order. If the worship team is screaming lyrics that you cannot understand That's not orderly. If they're headbanging for Jesus, rocking for the rock, and it's similar to that of a secular rock and roll concert, it's not a pure representation of who our God is. But they're sincere. Well, they may be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. God is the spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. According to his word, according to his ways. What, are his word? what does his word say? What are his ways? God is to be worshipped appropriately. And then principle number five. God is to be worshipped preeminently, preeminently. Psalm 115 verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Colossians 118, and he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. If there's one biblical truth regarding worship that needs to be loudly preached in the ears of Christians in churches today, it's this truth. Worship is not about us, it's not about our wants, it's not about our wishes, it's not about our desires, it's not about our feelings. It's not about our talents or our abilities. It's not about fancy buildings. It's not about entertaining ministries or expensive equipment. Worship is to be focused supremely on God. Now, our problem is that we are experts at saying that it is all about God, When it's obvious that the attention being given in worship is focused on magnifying men and their skills. We say it's all about God when we drool over the musicians and the music, the worship team, the speaking ability and the wittiness of the pastor. Listen, church, anything that distracts us from uplifting the greatness of God is a hindrance to pure worship And can become an idol. And let me also say that this truth pours over into the detailed aspects of our day by day individual worship. God is to be worshiped preeminently. Worshipping God is to be more important than watching football. Worshipping God is to be more important than working overtime on the Lord's day so that we can purchase new toys. Worshiping God ought to be less important than hanging out with our friends, watching our favorite TV program, or sleeping in on Sunday mornings. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him how? Preeminently. We must seek first the kingdom of God and Christ's righteousness. The pursuit of God is to be first and foremost, all other things are secondary. All other earthly relationships, earthly pursuits, and earthly enjoyments are to be secondary to our pursuit of God. And God forbid that we should give God our leftovers. Well, if I have time to read my Bible, I'll sneak it in. If I have time to sit at the feet of Jesus and commune with Him in prayer. If nothing else is going on, if my calendar is clear, then I'll be there Sunday. But if something else comes up, that takes first place. Now, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him preeminently. Finally, we come to principle number six, which is the truth that God is to be worshiped continuously. Continuously. And by this, I mean that He is to be worshiped everywhere. At all times. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Whether they are in Jerusalem or in Egypt. Whether they are in the wilderness or in the temple. At church or out of the church. When you are around family and when you are separated from the family. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him. Yes on Sundays but also on Mondays. Are you catching the emphasis? God is not to be compartmentalized or pigeonholed to a singular place, a singular time, on a singular day. Yet sadly, this is precisely what many people do. The only time they worship God is at church on Sunday morning during the specific time their church meets. They put Jesus on for an hour They get in the car and take Jesus off. They clock in, they clock out. Or sometimes people worship God in their childhood only to abandon Him when they leave home in their young adult years. Or some worship God when things are going good and then abandon Him when things are going bad. Or flip side, vice versa, they worship God when things are going bad and then worship Him when things get better. Or sorry, then they forsake Him when things get better. God says He is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him when? Always. Day and night. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Joshua 1.8. And then Psalm 1. If you want to be like the tree planted by the rivers of water, you must meditate on God's word day and night, not just exclusively on Sundays, not just exclusively at 11 o'clock on Sundays, day and night. We are to live in a spirit of worship. We are to worship God not just on some days, but every day. We are to worship God not just in church among God's people, but at home in private. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that we ought to love God with all of our heart at all times, in all places. We ought to teach our children to love the Lord when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. So, going back to our first question Does God care how we worship Him? Yes. How do we know? He's told us. He's given us truth after truth after truth that demonstrates that He cares. And I'm hoping by now you're recognizing the fact that this commonly held belief among the evangelical world that proclaims that God doesn't care how you worship Him, is nothing but a deceiving lie from Satan himself. Satan wants nothing more than to pervert the pure worship of God. God cares how we worship Him. He's told us in His Word how we should worship Him. We ought to worship Him believingly, obediently, reverently, appropriately, preeminently, and consistently.